Welcome to QUT Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, Executive Education for the Real World. Today we're continuing with our series, which brings the richness of the QUT community, uh, of researchers and teachers, those who are making an impact on the real world, to you, our listening audience. Having had a few guests recently from the world of technology and robotics, we look to another area of our endeavour at QUT, the world of health and nursing. With me is Professor Patsy Yates. Patsy is head of our School of Nursing and is also director for Queensland the Health's statewide centre for palliative care research and education. She's recently stepped down as president of the national body Palliative Care Australia. Her research, teaching and professional contribution in her distinguished career has been in, among other things, developing a workforce capable of providing high quality cancer and palliative care. Next week, Patsy will lead discussion at the National Pol Policy Summit of the Australian College of Nursing as they seek to have more input in the area of end of life and palliative care. Welcome, Patsy. Thank you. So I'm interested in, in your term um, as president of Palliative Care Australia. Um, so I saw you were quoted in an interview um, as saying that palliative care is something that resonates with everyone, certainly resonates with me. Um, so the whole area about end of life and palliative, uh, palliative care seems to be getting a lot more policy attention at the moment. So why do you think that is? Palliative care and death and dying is something that affects all of us. So, I mean, I think one, one fact is that um, the human condition is associated with 100% mortality. So we all die and, and I think that it's not just the fact that we all die because we're all born too. And so, you know, birth is seen to be part of the normal part of the life course. Death does as well, but it has a little bit more mystery and fear and concern about it in, in many, many ways. And, you know, for some people, some people have beliefs which help them provide meaning about what dying means. But for many people in our community, uh, it is still shrouded with a lot of mystery. And I think the other thing about death and dying is that um, it's painful. Loss is painful. And I think because of that as well, it, is, it affects us, um, it affects us deeply. Um, and I think for, for all those reasons, it's something that is an important part of all of us as human beings in our community. Mm. Are we, you think now more prepared to speak openly and freely about death and dying? Um, uh, I suppose apart from its religious uh, significance, we can talk about it in, a plain, in just plain policy terms now where perhaps once we, we weren't really able to because of that, that shroud of mystery. Yes, I, I, think, I think things are changing. There are a lot, there's a lot more conversations, even in the policy context but, uh, in, and in our communities, about being more prepared to have conversations. So there's a lot of work in, at, a, at a policy level and a practice level around concepts uh, such as advanced care planning. And, uh, and Palliative Care Australia, uh, one of the uh, pieces of work that they've done recently is develop what they called a, a discussion starter. So which, which is even before advanced care planning, just the idea of being able to, how do you have a conversation with a loved one around what their wishes are, what their values and goals are, uh, even before um, it, it gets to a point at where you know, your death is, uh, is imminent. Mm. So uh, I think we are a little bit more prepared, but still there's a lot of work to do. In fact, there was a study 
published a couple of years back which uh, highlighted that only 14% of our community um, have an advanced care plan which uh, you know where they've had a discussion about what their preferences are. Mm, because of the difficulty personally of yep. having that conversation. Yep. Um, yep. So it's kind of the policies, uh, those conversations at a very personal level and the conversations at a community-wide level uh, about death and dying is uh, some of the work of, of uh, Palliative Care Australia. Exactly, yeah. and, it, and those conversations are not just something that's driven by healthcare professionals. It should be um, what you know. What it should be conversations just generally in our community within our families, uh, so that we all know and uh, appreciate what our what our wishes and goals are. Yeah, and what our choices are, I suppose. And you spoke of the role of the PCA Palliative Care Australia to create good policy in a rapidly changing context. So tell us a little bit about this changing context and, and what is good policy, do you think, um, yeah. I, I suppose, in the, in the view of, the, of Palliative Care Australia? Yeah. Um, well, I, the changing context, there's, there's a, a number of things. I think probably the biggest thing that's affecting and transforming a lot of what uh, healthcare and, uh, and community care is about is the ageing population. We, um, it's, we have, we're going to have so much more of an imbalance in, uh, in terms of the number of older people who are living for many, many years. And that's a fantastic thing. That's a fantastic thing that our community is at a stage where we have had so many scientific discoveries that many of the conditions which, used to, which we used to die from in a short time, we now can um, extend people's lives. We can control those conditions and people can live with a very good quality of life for a lot longer. Mm. Uh, but of course, ultimately though, uh, we all need, we will all die from something. So uh, that sort of change in terms of the patterns of disease is quite significant. Um, and that, so from a policy context, uh, the, that sort of how we provide services and when we provide services, when uh, what the people die much more from chronic conditions than from short-term conditions. So I, I think that's a really important thing. I think some of the other sort of significant changes uh, over the last few decades has been a lot of um, work put into developing the evidence base behind palliative care and behind how to actually care for people and achieve a good quality of life. You know, I think palliative care emerged from a movement in the 60s which was a recognition in from a, a, a woman called Cicely Saunders. She was a medical practitioner, in fact actually she trained as a nurse and trained as a social worker but became a medical practitioner. And a part of what drove her um, and her passion was a recognition that we actually did this area of medical care really poorly. And, and that sort of sparked a, a quite a radical movement away from traditional medical model in some ways to say we need to focus more on holistic care, we need to develop an evidence base about how we improve quality of life. And, and we've done that. We've got really very good evidence now about how to manage pain, how to manage a whole lot of other symptoms. So. I think that those are some of the big changes are, which mean yeah, that. Yeah, so this de big demographic uh, 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 yeah, bulge, I suppose, that's, that's coming through will start to shift things of its. Absolutely. Yeah, and we were discussing before we were interviewing that uh, we baby boomers, and I'm a baby boomer, will want more control. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. consumer yeah. expectations of healthcare mm. uh, is, is just increasing enormously. And that's good because that is going to um, make us accountable as healthcare professionals for the care we provide. So that's a good thing. Mm. Um, so uh, is everyone across Australia able to access what you would think of as good palliative care or is it the privilege of those people in sort of larger metropolitan areas? 
Yeah, I, I think that there's absolutely no way we could say that everyone has access to good quality care at this point in our community. Australia does pretty well, having said that. Australia, there's, there's been international studies that have rated the quality of palliative care across um, the world. Um, and Australia comes in second and has consistently come in second, um, second to the UK. So we do pretty well. But we, the big issues we do have is still in variation in quality and variation in access to palliative care. And, and that's, that sort of is, yes, geographically based. The majority of our specialist palliative care services are city-based. The majority of our specialist palliative care doctors are city-based. And so uh, and they, the opportunities for people in rural communities we, to access those specialist services are much more limited. I think we've also got um, certain groups in our community who also miss out because we're still learning how to provide culturally appropriate palliative care. So we know, for example, our Indigenous communities really, um, there's, there's, we've got a lot of work to do to build capability in providing culturally appropriate palliative care. Yes, so something we hadn't thought of before, I suppose, um, Indigenous and also in our, you know, ethnically diverse um, and religiously diverse uh, settings, I suppose, too, the way that we approach um, mm. palliative care. So, yes. Um, now, when you mentioned that we've got the ageing population and probably the, the need for end-of-care services will, will grow, we'll have to have a workforce uh, to meet that demand, I suppose. Um, and uh, Patsy and I were sharing before the in interview that um, in my recent brush with um, the palliative care area that I noticed that everyone seemed to be extremely special who worked in this area and it was a combination of you know high quality technical skills but also you know amazing social and emotional um, skills so have we got enough of those kind of people yeah. uh, in the community to pro provide these services yeah. and, and and I suppose in your role as uh, you know in the school of nursing uh, how, how are we approaching those kind of workforce issues uh, no, there's nowhere near enough at this point, and I think uh, it's interesting that um, many of the both um, national and statewide uh, policy strategies for um, that relate to palliative care all include workforce um, development, mm. uh, and that's workforce at a number of levels. Because I think that the one of the challenges with palliative care and where where people die is that it's actually not just in one sort of location. So we can't, we don't just have everyone sort of in a um, in a surgical ward or in in a mm. one particular part of a of a of a hospital or in a community. People die in all sorts of settings across our across our hospital or hospital systems in the community, in hospices, and in aged care. In fact, we have I think the figures are about sixty thousand deaths per year in residential aged care you know so it's right across our community so we need to have a workforce at all of those areas mm. and certainly not everyone needs to be a specialist and have advanced skills but everyone needs to be able to provide a minimum level of care but yeah your, your point about though the special skills it's it's true palliative care is all based upon a philosophy of holistic care based upon a philosophy of enabling um, um, patient consumer choice family-centred care, and that really does require, um, a, require attention to developing people's ability to communicate well, people's ability to be with, um, and, that's, um, and that's the sort of, I think, what you were, the, the mm. skill you were talking about, um, just sort of sensing and knowing where a person's at, um, and that's through observation, that's through a good communication and asking questions. But at the same time, 
There's also the important technical skills. We've, at the same time, you've also got to balance that with that ability to provide the latest evidence-based symptom management. The other critical skill that we often underestimate, um, and I think this is something where you know, we can learn from colleagues in business and everything, is actually team-based skills and working across boundaries because the journey for many people is when they're interacting with so many parts of a system. Mm. And I think that's, that's some of the skills we try and build as well is how to work as part of a team, mm. uh, knowing you know, how to optimise everyone's contribution. Mm. Yes, and my observation with um, the palliative care workers that I did work with, they, they were the ones who were the boundary writers who actually made the connections. You know, they'll, they'll say, um, have you discussed this with you know, your mother's GP and you'll still say, no, that conversation was a bit difficult. Let me go down and talk to that GP. You know, so they were the ones who actually did all the connecting, uh, which is an amazing set of skills. Yeah. Because if you're in that place, you, the last thing you need is to actually have to navigate a complex system. And, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we've got at the moment. And, and you know, you said before, um, you asked about the notion of good policy. And I think one of the challenges that we have at a policy level is that um, what we're talking about is all different parts of a system that, are, that have got, that sometimes work in silos, that are funded, some of it's funded by Commonwealth, some of it's funded by state. And, and in fact, there's not always incentives for people to come together. So, you know, my experience in palliative care is, is actually one of the reasons that palliative care people are special is that they somehow work out how to overcome some of those structural barriers yep. that are put in front of us. And That's right. they're amazing how they do it. Uh, yes, and, you know, Patsy was said in her interview, everyone's got a story and I've got mine, but it was of that. It was uh, navigating a very complex system which involved the hospital when hospitals were required, um, palliative care for particular providers, you know, your GP, people, you know, and then, of course, there's family around that too. That It, is, it, it was uh, the most complex project I've ever managed is, uh, is uh, managing the, you know, the death of a loved one. It is. Uh, and you, you do wonder how, uh, I mean, I've come through the public sector and so I understand complex systems but, uh, and how to wrangle, I suppose. Um, but not everyone is capable of doing that or has, has an advocate on their behalf to wrangle that system. But, um, and of course, there's no easy answers to that. Um, yeah. Are nurses getting enough input into some of these good palliative care policy um, issues, Patsy, in your view? Yeah, I look. I think um, I think that there's. I, yes, I think that we uh, nurses are really well placed, and I think that the contribution of nursing is valued in many ways because of that. The, the sorts of things that nurses bring to the team is very much around that continuous sort of. Um, care with people which enables which puts us in a really unique position in the sense that we do uh, really um, we're able to really understand that being with and what people's needs are and um, what families and, and all of that involvement um, to make good palliative care happen what all that means I think again nurses are sort of also the ones as I said that are often able to work across those sort of boundaries that we talked about and so because of that I think every, people do appreciate that unique lens that we bring uh, I think that uh, there's, there's lots of opportunity though for us to, um, to add more value to some of those policy discussions and, 
And I think uh, you know some of the work that the College of Australian College of Nursing is doing with by setting up a an end of life care policy chapter uh, is is really about how we can strengthen our um, our policy influence by being much clearer about um, what it is that is needed to be done, learning more about how we can influence and shape that good policy that we need. And for those who are interested, Patsy will be speaking at the, uh, the Policy Summit next Friday on these end-of-life issues. So we look forward to hearing more about um, some of these policy directions. And um, so, but Patsy, you're head of School of Nursing as well. So now nursing education has changed a lot, I'd imagine, even in your professional life. Uh, so no longer only based in a hospital, but uh, it is a, an area of professional endeavour now. So um, has all these these changes been positive in your view and where are we heading with nursing education? Oh, look, it's interesting. It's uh, Absolutely, they've been... So I, when I trained, I, I trained in a hospital. I had um, a good training. But the training was very... It was about to prepare me to work in a hospital and it was very task-focused, very technical-focused. So we were really, really good at making beds and, and still today I'm excellent at making beds. So you come round to my place <laughs> anytime. <laughs> so so we, we had really good training in those things and we, um, and that was good, but of course, and that was, you know, appropriate for the time, but of course, you know, a couple of decades on now, uh, it's, it's not what's going to actually provide good, um, good quality healthcare in any setting. So, you know, today nursing education is all about preparing, preparing graduates who are able to work across the healthcare system, not just in a hospital, preparing people who are able to critically think to apply evidence, to use data. So I think one of the biggest changes we're seeing in healthcare at the moment is the fact that there is so much data that we can use to make good clinical decisions. And we need to be able to interpret that. We need to be able to sort, um, support our patients to interpret that. So that's a lot of what we, we work, our education now is about how do we work with um, consumers as partners? How do we prepare people to think critically, to prepare nurses to use technology um, effectively uh, and you know, yeah, to provide that holistic team-based care? Mm, wonderful. So as well as teaching though, uh, we all academics have a role in research. So tell us about some of the interesting questions that you and your team are working on at the moment. So um, one of the things that um, one of our big initiatives at the moment is we've got an NHMRC um, centre uh, of um, end of life care research. That's, um, that's and that involves a number of universities, doesn't numbers, it? It involves a number of universities and a, a number of people across all different disciplines. So uh, from not just the health professions, but also from health law, uh, from business, from technology, so that uh, we've been able to design a number of projects. And the focus of it's really around health services. So um, so some of the projects we're working on, a big one is actually how do we um, do, do primary care, palliative care better. So how do we support GPs and develop models of care that GPs are better empowered and more part of those teams. So we've done, uh, in fact, um, a design thinking workshop. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, where we really, because we keep coming up with the same solutions and it's surprising that we actually don't seem to be making much progress. So we've done a design thinking workshop to try and break that through some things? of that. I think that it it was a great opportunity and we came up with some really, people got really excited about how we did need to apply different lenses. Uh, the challenge for us now is actually to think, okay, that's great, but how do we now overcome the structural barriers and resource 
some of that um, some of that work. So a lot of health systems work. We've been looking at how we apply palliative care to groups that are sometimes um, underserved. So. Uh, for example, patients with um, a lot of uh, some chronic conditions which often don't uh, get access to palliative care, like patients with chronic kidney disease, for example. And we're, we're also looking at, um, with our colleagues in health law, how can we um, understand what legislative reform might be needed. So we're looking at some projects which are looking at how uh, our current legislation might act as barriers to palliative care. Mm. So a range of different things, yeah. Yeah, so um, amazing that we can approach something in a transdisciplinary sort of way. That's you have to think that's a very heartening. Advance, yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Well, because and that's just the nature of this field. It's there's all of those aspects of the system have to be um, optimised to get the best outcomes. That's wonderful, Patsy. Thanks so much for contributing to what I, I think of as our cool QUT yes. uh, series <laughs> in Exec Insights, and uh, we wish you all the very best with the research and the directions with uh, nursing education. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of QUT Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, Executive Education for the Real World. You can comment on the podcast or make suggestions for future guests at execinsights at qut.edu.au. We would love to hear from you. If you would like more information about professional development for yourself or your team, please search QUTX, that's Q-U-T-E-X, and you will find our full range of programs. I'm your host, Kate Joyner, with sound recording and editing by Lance Scaife-Elliott. See you next time.